And as they're doing that, let me invite you, if you brought your Bible with you um, or have a device, to go to Isaiah um, in the Old Testament. Chapter 9, a passage that uh, Phil read just a little bit ago. I'm reminded, uh, especially when we sing these Christmas songs, uh, you know, in a congregational setting where we have screens behind us, how little of the words I actually know of Christmas songs are you, are you, and how hard they are to sing. Um, I really struggle there. Uh, just a few years after we got married, uh, we were, we were singing, you know, Christmas song on the radio, um, uh, rocking around the Christmas tree. And I was singing, walking around the Christmas tree. And Ashley looked at me and said, what, what, what do you think the Christmas tree's like? The, the walls of Jericho that we like walking? And I was like, listen, I grew up, you know, independent Baptist. Uh, we didn't dance. We didn't rock. Um, we walked. So I don't know if my parents changed the, the name of the, of the song for me, but that's how I remembered it. And uh, even as we get to uh, pass it's, uh, th- these songs today and um, kind of the direction we're headed for this uh, Christmas season, a uh, little series, Christmas series we're calling Out of Darkness. And um, you see this, uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas uh, hymns that I cannot sing, maybe the hardest to sing is Oh Holy Night. And there's a phrase in there that you've seen before. I put a few of these, I think, on the screen. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And this is a hymn that speaks towards the future for yonder breaks. This phrase, the weary world rejoices, just seems so applicable right now. The weary world. If 2020 has been anything, it has been wearisome. Has it not on some level? In this beautiful song, impossible for most people to sing, carries this phrase that is so true to our very specific time and place. And yet even though the world can be weary, we can rejoice. So this series, Out of Darkness, I think because of the setting of both the first advent and the coming advent, seems a bit shrouded in darkness One of these great themes of Christianity as a whole is light dispelling darkness. So why are they so weary? And why are we so weary? For them, speaking specifically to the Christmas story that we enter, and we're going to back way up another 700 years before the Christmas story. So nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah is writing, writing about darkness and light. But you can go several thousand years even before that, and these themes of light and darkness are so apparent. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Darkness. 
And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And God said, let there be light. The Creator God spoke light into the darkness. And one theologian says in the beginning, God separated light and darkness and he's been doing the same ever since. And isn't that some of the things we struggle to identify with as we make decisions, as we encounter friends and relationships, as we struggle through difficulties in life? Which, which is darkness and which is light in the path that's ahead of me? The book of Isaiah describes arguably the darkest time for God's people. It says in Isaiah chapter 1, Jerusalem, you are like an unfaithful wife. Once your judges were honest and your people live right, now you are a city full of murderers. Your silver is fake. Your wine is watered down. Your leaders have rejected me and become friends of crooks. Your rulers are looking for gifts and bribes. Widows and orphans never get a fair trial. I am the Lord, all-powerful, the mighty ruler of Israel, and I make you a promise. You are now my enemy, the Lord says, and I will show my anger by taking revenge on you. I will punish you terribly and burn away everything that makes you unfit to worship me. That doesn't sound like the little cuddly baby Jesus speaking there, does it? It was a dark time. In the history of God's people. Fast forward a few verses. Again, this is 700 years before Christ would come. In Isaiah chapter 5, if someone looks across the land, <clears throat> only darkness and distress will be seen. Even the light will be darkened by the clouds. In chapter 8, and when they try to find help in heaven and on earth, they will only find trouble and darkness. Terrible trouble and the deepest darkness. So we see God's people, because of some of their own sin, judgment placed upon them, walking through what the scripture says, the deepest of darkness. And then he goes on to say in chapter 9, this passage in Bible's book of Isaiah that explains how we conquer darkness around us. Verse 1, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. God promises that the darkness will end. In verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness... On them a light has shone. This phrase, those that dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone from the prophet Isaiah is repeated multiple times through the Old and the New Testament. Jesus himself repeats it to describe the type of setting that he is ultimately stepping into. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of travel back in time to Isaiah's world and then next week we're going to jump forward a couple year a couple hundred years and then finally see how this bring this home how it applies to us even today before we do that would you pray with me and would you ask God to speak to your heart specifically
this morning. We've not gathered just out of ritual or tradition, but we've gathered, Lord, for you to speak to us. And we ask that you would do just that. Would you open our eyes and our ears? Would you open our hearts and our minds that we would be able to see your truth, your Jesus, to see you high and lifted up? And that with all the things going on inside of us and all around us, that we would be able just for a moment to push all those things to the periphery so that we can see and focus on the light that you bring. Encourage the weary, bring conviction and passion to the apathetic. Lord, stir our hearts with great affection for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I love preaching Christmas messages because of the nostalgia, yes, certainly. But that we don't have to watch the bad parts of the movie anymore. Up close. Again, this prophecy was given to the people of God in the deepest of darkness. Have you ever noticed that when you're walking through the most difficult times yourself, it's tough to celebrate with others who are in a good season of life? It's, it's tough to celebrate with those who are celebrating when you're walking through such a, a dark time. And this is where we see God's people. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And even as these people are seeing or reading or hearing the words of God to them, it didn't feel like the light was shining. It still felt very dark. And it would continue to feel dark for almost another thousand years. You ever notice how God doesn't work the way that you want him to work? You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And God never, God never goes the straight line. He doesn't work the way that we want him to work. He doesn't work as fast as we want him to work. He's never really as clear as we would necessarily like him to be. We would want the whole thing laid out in front of us. He just gives us little glimpses. As in just enough encouragement for him to say to us, hey, just come and follow me. Hey, just trust me. Christmas means the time of darkness and fears coming to an end. The passage in Isaiah 9 verse 6 goes on to read, as God promised through the prophet Isaiah the coming of a Savior, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This might be one of the most familiar Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Christ. You've certainly heard it. 
And yet those names of Christ, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Such weighty things that should lead us to meditate just on the truths of this is who Jesus is. Unfortunately, we only seem to pull this passage out of the box on the holidays. It's like one of those ornaments that we decorate our trees with. But have you ever thought about the richness and the truth this single verse teaches us about Jesus? We have the privilege of being born between the first and the second advent. These people who were hearing this message originally were looking toward the coming. Advent means the the coming into view or the appearing. They were looking toward the first advent and they were waiting and eagerly waiting and hoping. And yet we've got evidence all around us that Jesus did come and he did keep his promises and he promised that he's going to come again and that's what we're waiting for. The second advent where we see the full culmination of all of these promises. And yet we probably just like them find it so difficult to wait. We can now see how God not only promised the light of life, we get to actually meet him through scripture and know him personally through his indwelling spirit in us. I want to mention just briefly these names of Jesus. And I hope that they would maybe spark some meditation in your own time with the Lord this week. That he is our wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor indicates that Jesus will be a supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom. Amazing news for those of us who need guidance. We are all receiving counsel all the time. Most of it bad, some of it good. Many of you might see a professional counselor. I encourage everyone in our church to go see a counselor. I think, I think they have added so much richness to my own life. As a matter of fact, when we started the church, that was a requirement for all the staff that at least a couple times a year, you and your bride are going to go see a professional counselor. And if you actively see a counselor, you, you kind of know the benefit that that brings to your life. They're able to help kind of focus some of your thoughts and random ideas and uh, the trauma of the past and how that gets kind of those emotions get kind of intermixed with reality and a, a good counselor is going to listen well and going to help help direct you into the next best step or a healthier way of rightful thinking yet even the best of counselors would not compare to the wonderful counselor who is Jesus Jesus, so much more than the professional counselor, Scripture here calls him the wonderful counselor, the one who would lead us into all truth. And how can he even be the wonderful counselor unless he comes to earth and suffers as we do? As Hebrews talks about him being a sympathetic high priest, that he's walked the walk before, that he's struggled with the temptation, that he's suffered through pain and agony and loss. This is Jesus, our wonderful counselor. He can relate. He understands. He speaks with the wisdom from heaven, but also with wisdom of experience. He's been there. He was hungry and lonely and homeless. Battled with grief and rejection and betrayal. 
injustice and ultimately murder. He's experienced it. So if you've been betrayed as he was or financially broke as he was or lonely as he was, you can go to him and you can trust him because he's our wonderful counselor. I love this about God. Always there. No questions too stupid. No emotion too out of bounds. Just bringing it. I love to read through the book of Psalms. We see this in David. He's a big feeler. And he's exaggerating, you know, all the things that I'm drowning in my own tears kind of talk. And David's learned that he just goes to God with those things. And I love even as he preaches to himself in the Psalms, how it always kind of turns around towards the end of said, yet I would put my hope in him. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. Not only does he understand, but that he acts on our behalf. He's not limited or weak. I love this. I don't know if you're reading through the Jesus Storybook Bible through the Advent, but I love how it phrases just again and again that the majesty and strength and might of our God. Trying to teach this to my kids every day and reminding my own heart of this. Mighty God indicates that Jesus will be divinely strong and powerful. Amazing news for those who are weak. Mary quotes this in her own song after the angel appears to her, tells her that she's going to carry the Messiah. Verse 51, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. Not only is he wise, the wonderful counselor, but he's strong enough to execute his wise plans. Now grasping these two concepts in concert with each other, is huge in the life of the believer. Some believe he's wise with no power to act, and others that he's powerful, but he's not sure what exactly to do. But friends, don't confuse him with not acting as quickly as you wanted with the fact that he couldn't act because he's all wise and all powerful. He's committed to working all things for the good in your life. Sometimes God not acting when, you're, when you want him to act displays his power just as much as him stepping in and changing the situation. Sometimes him giving you the endurance to suffer well is just as supernatural as him stepping in and removing the obstacle that's in front of you. Some try to reduce Jesus to some godlike hero who had episodes of grandeur, but that would be, that would be a mistake. He was God. He was a mighty God. He would stand on a boat and speak to a hurricane and see it stop. He would take a stroll on top of the water and call Peter to join him. He would call people back from the dead as he did Lazarus. He would heal terminal diseases as in the blind man in John chapter 9. Eventually raise from the dead himself. He is mighty God. He understands as the wise and wonderful counselor but he also has the power to act. He is mighty God. He's the everlasting father. 
The idea in these Hebrew words is that Jesus is a source or author of all eternity. The eternal father or everlasting father. He is the creator himself. It doesn't mean that Jesus himself is the person of the father and the trinity. This is speaking to the everlasting nature of Jesus that he was in the beginning That he was the father of creation. The father willed things be be created. And Jesus is the one that stepped up and opened his mouth and spoke these things into existence. He's the eternal father. But it also speaks that he, Jesus himself, has a father-like heart. It indicates that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children Amazing news for those who are alone and underappreciated. Isaiah is speaking of a child who will be born some 700 years in the future. Yet he makes it clear that this child is the author of eternity. He's the father of, of, of time. And this truly can boggle the mind. Isaiah couldn't have seen fully the light of glory that shone from Jesus when he dwelt among us. But from Jesus' own lips... Words such as these were spoken. I and the Father are one, he says. No one understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father, John 10. Have I been with you so long and yet you still do not know me, Philip, he would say. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, in John 14. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of God, the exact representation, Hebrews tells us. Jesus alone makes the Father known. Indeed, no one can know the Father except through him, John 14, 6. Everything you've ever dreamed a father could be, everything you've ever wanted from your own relationship with your earthly father, Jesus is and will be for you eternally if you place your faith in him. Your Messiah will forever be perfectly father-like in the way he shepherds and leads you. In Jesus, you have a perfect father forever. Jesus, your everlasting father, came down at Christmas into a broken and sinful world to fill our hearts with this supernatural love, to teach us how to love one another. He came to make sons and daughters out of his enemies, and this is the greatest gift of Christmas from the father to us. It's so comforting to my own heart to read Everlasting Father. Once we become Christ's child, we are his and he is ours forever. There'll be no more goodbyes with him. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, Paul reminds us. Not even death itself. Indeed, it will only draw us nearer to him. Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers, once said, There is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlasting father to those who trust him. Friends, this is the heart of the perfect father. All these conspiracies are flying around. Maybe you've heard them or seen them. That this new vaccine, if you accidentally get it, it's going to be the mark of the beast. Have you read that? And Did it spur a little fear within you? Listen, you've, you've missed the heart of the Father. If you, 
would you set your kids up for such a mistake? No, God reveals his will to his kids. He's not going to let us blindly walk into something that pushes us outside of his kingdom. No, you've missed the heart of the Father altogether. No, God loves us perfectly. This is the heart of the Father. Think about your love for your own kids and how, how much good you want them to walk in and how you want to bless them immensely. And Jesus in his own words says, even you want good gifts for your kids and yet your hearts are evil. How much greater is the heart of the father towards his kids? The heart of the perfect father that loves his kids and gives good gifts. His heart filled with compassion as he looked over Jerusalem. Remember that? Filled with compassion. His gut ached literally because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He's the everlasting father and he's the prince of peace. This prince of peace indicates that Jesus will bring well-being and right relationships. Amazing news for all of us who lack peace with God and peace with each other. Maybe something we can hold on to as we move into the Christmas season and spend time with relatives that have opposing views on so many different things that the God of all peace can be in the center of such a situation. The peace that is traditionally equated with the manger scene in Bethlehem is only the beginning. As far as life experience goes, Bethlehem for Jesus would be in stark contrast to what he experienced later in his life in Gethsemane on Calvary's Hill. The full humanity of Christ in the manger in Bethlehem also hung with him on the cross. And between these two events, Jesus was bombarded with peace-robbing circumstances, yet he didn't waver. You know what I'm talking about, peace-robbing circumstances. They could be little or they could be big. You're going out through your day and you feel a real sense of joy and peace. It's the Christmas season. and You're listening to Santa Baby on the radio. You know, the nostalgia of all the things. And you smell the, the sugar pecans and Bass Pro. Or you think about adding a little egg, eggnog to your coffee in the morning. You know, all the things that just bring this nostalgic warmth. And yet you get a bad phone call. Or someone sends an unkind gesture to you with their hand because you pulled out in front of them or someone's not kind and yet it seems to rob our peace so quickly and Jesus walked through even greater difficulty than we would ever experience and yet he did so with such peace remember the storm raging on the outside and Jesus in the, in the bottom of the boat what's he doing he's sleeping peacefully he took his time journeying to Beth, Bethany after Lazarus died as if this peacefully, leisurely walk there. He dealt with enormous crowds of hungry people with little food, and he peacefully fed them. And time and time again, the peace that surrounded the confines of his birth appeared in his everyday life. And even on the cross, being physically ravaged, his heart was in perfect peace. Now just to do a quick overview, the Bible talks about three different kinds of peace. 
The first is the peace is peace with God. Romans 5, 1 talks about this. This is the absence of animosity between you and God. Because we're born with a sin nature, we are by nature hostile to God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul's writing to a group of Christians, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is mainly talking about salvation. This is what we talk about when we talk about conversion. God's wrath no longer against you. But Jesus took it in our place. And now we live at peace with God. Peace with God. And then there's peace from God. This is the Old Testament idea of shalom. It's this this well-wishing to all of those around us that they would have peace. All of Paul's letters except 2 Thessalonians start this way. Peace from God. A state of well-being because of the common grace of God. Peace from God. And we should all pray that God would give us peace. And we pray that Israel would have peace. And we pray that our city would be peaceful. This is peace from God. We're praying, God, would you, would you bring peace? This has been a common prayer of mine, certainly in this season, as hostility and division seems to be working rampant. I pray this over our church, that this would be a peaceful, life-giving place. This is peace from God. And then there's the peace of God. Isaiah saying of Jesus, he'll be the prince of peace. The peace of God is the greatest thing a believer can walk in today. Colossians 3 says that the peace of God would rule in your hearts through Christ Jesus. It's a deep heart confidence that God is in control and will work out for my good all things in the end. This is what keeps us steady, friends. This is the peace of God. This is Stephen as he's being stoned. Being beat down for his faith. Paul observing such a thing and yet he's gazing up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That's the peace. That's the peace of God. As you walk through difficulty and unemployment and grieve all the losses of 2020, you can have the peace of God. And not that it's just like something just stashed in the backpack or in the back of your car and you're fiddling around for it. No, this can be what it means to walk with God is to have peace, even when things seem so tumultuous. This is Paul in Acts 20-something when the ship's about to go down and he's telling all the soldiers to take courage because he has real peace. Friends, you and I can have that same peace. For those of you who aren't walking with God, you can have peace with God. You can commit your life to him. You can step across a line of faith. And many of you can remember a time where you made that very decision that I'm not going to fight for my own way anymore. I'm going to submit to the lordship of Christ and all that he's accomplished for me on the cross. I'm going to have 
peace with God. And we can pray that our city would experience the peace from God, but ultimately, Christian, what's the calling on our lives that we would walk in peace? The passage goes on to say in verse 7, after it lists these incredible names of Jesus, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Part of this passage contains two of these promises. And if you can think back 700 years before Christ or 2,700 years ago, these two promises are prophesied right next to each other. And you can see why the disciples thought that they would come at the same time. But again, that's not how always how God, how God works. Because they were seeing the first appearing, as John says, that we have, we have seen him with our own eyes. We have seen his glory, he says in chapter 1. The irradiance of his glory. And yet this verse in verse 7 is some thousands of years later. That there would, be, there, would, there would come a day, which is still to come, where the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He speaks of a day when he becomes, in reality, in our view, the great king. And he sits on a literal throne and he's the king. And it says, of that government and of peace, there will be no end. It speaks of the second advent. And this is where the longing, this theme of advent kind of comes in our own hearts, that we long for that day. When Jesus is going to come back and we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment of all that was promised some thousands of years ago. Jesus sits on this literal throne and rules over the world and there will be peace. Yet we watch the news and it has not arrived yet. But as you know, it's possible that we can have peace even with conflict all around. This phrase, out of darkness, I thought it might be a little heavy. Like, man, that sounds a little emo, right? Out of darkness. Is that even a word anyone uses anymore? Emo. We thought maybe we should call it the light of Christmas. That sounds better. The light of Christmas. But I think the passage that we're looking at and the other ones subsequently we're going to look at have just such this theme of darkness and yet Jesus stepping into that darkness. For some of you, things might look pretty dark even now. Some facing the holidays, this time for the first time, without someone you love. Passing of a mom or dad or Some unemployed, others sick, depression. I read just the other day that more people are struggling with depression than ever before. Things, things can get pretty dark. And yet Jesus is the light shining through those clouds of darkness. Even with all the darkness, God is trying to force light into that story, into your story. He's telling you, don't give up, friend. 
there's light. In Luke 1, in Zechariah's song, after he's promised that John the Baptist will come and be the forerunner of Christ, he says, of the ministry of Jesus, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love that. Even in the midst of darkness, Jesus is leading us us with his light, guiding us into the way of peace. I just love that. Got two quick points of application before we're done, and Jason's going to come and lead us through communion in just a minute after we sing, and then I'm going to introduce to you some church planters to close the day out, but two quick points of application. One is to seek the light. God is at work all around you. Don't focus on the darkness. Focus on the light. I love that song, the Waymaker song. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Friend, you should seek the light. For those of you who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, friend, seek the light today. Holy Spirit's working in your heart even now to draw you into himself. Seek the light. And then number two, we should walk in the light. In other words, don't go back to the old way of life of hiding and blaming and consuming and living only for yourself. No, walk in the light. First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just kind of right where you're at. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand or go anywhere. I just want you to communicate with God. And maybe in just where you're at, you could just confess to him the darkness around you that seems overwhelming. Maybe your job is tougher now than it's ever been. Maybe there's no real clarity of thought. Maybe your grief is just so real and so thick sometimes you feel a little bit like David you're just drowning yourself in the tears maybe some of you you're grieving the life that you wish you would have had you, you thought by now certainly I would I would be married or I would have kids or my kids would have kids son or daughter is walking in rebellion against God and it grieves your heart so deeply that's the darkness that seems to be hovering around and yet God is shining light into your story my encouragement is to keep walking in the light then I want you to just remember those names of Jesus In the midst of the darkness, let's meditate our mind and our heart on those things. He's the wonderful counselor. God, would you speak truth into our situation where we need it the most? Conviction of sin, encouragement for where we're so weary, where we've taken the wrong direction. Remind us of our identity in you. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God. 
not only do you know me so well and all possible results of all possible decisions that could ever take place, yet you are the mighty God. happen you're the everlasting father before the creation of the world that you knew me and you knew my heart and you knew the wickedness that I would walk in and you knew the struggles that I would have and you knew the effect of the sin of the world and brokenness that we walk in and and you knew all these things and you loved me and you provided hope for me even in that situation you're the eternal father and you're our prince of peace would you forgive us for we seek peace from our bank accounts and the IRA and the new cycle right circumstances where those things will never bring ultimate peace but you offer it to us today I pray in increasing measure you would bring peace to our lives to our, our church our city our nation and the world where we can't wait to one day in the midst of our daily activity, we're gonna hear that great trumpet in the sky. And you're gonna come and meet us there and bring ultimate peace, the second advent. And Lord, our hearts and souls long for that. Lord, in the waiting, as we wait, may we have a heart of worship and trust. May peace reign in our lives. It's in Jesus' name.